Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everybody, and welcome to our latest House Sports Podcast. It is January 6th, January 7th. What's today? January 7th. I guess last uh, New Year's Eve was a week ago. Oh, boy. Wow. <laughs> oh, did I have a New Year's Eve. That was, uh, I, I went to a, a friend's house in the hills and the Hollywood Hills and yeah, I uh I I don't remember much of the next day. That was that was a rough day. Jim, did you did you spend New Year's Eve as you traditionally do in a movie theater? Uh no, I spent it as traditionally I don't do at work, so <laughs> it wasn't much of a New Year's Eve this year. <laughs> right. Well, but you, I, you, I, I, in, you... uh, I then I went to for a post holiday cuz I worked all the holidays. I took a post holiday trip to Denver and happened to be in the stadium Sunday for the Bronco Charger game, which was kind of one of those classics because Peyton Manning kind of rode to the rescue in the third, second half. So it was a wonderful, wonderful event. So did, did, did Peyton Manning ride to the rescue, or did he hand off to the rescue? That was you know, it's funny. The debate is going um, on in my head. People don't realize he audibles a lot to runs. He sees where the, yeah. the defense is lining up, and he will literally audible to the side they're not doing to. So it totally had everything to do with him reading the defense and running backs have talked about that, that they love playing for Peyton because he will put them in the best position to make a run. So it wasn't a simple matter of him handing off and people running. They, he, there was one play ESPN diagram where he audibled to, to the side where the chargers weren't. And it was a 25 yard gain. So it's his skill there. So yeah, it was no doubt that he was the impetus for that, but I'm not sure how much they'll do in the playoffs, unfortunately, but at least for that well, well, just, instant, it was a wonderful. It was a wonderful moment. Well, you're, they're, uh, we're going to be joined by Jamil Smith from the New Republic uh, shortly. Talk about homophobia, visa uh, v sexism, and hatred for women. But uh, let's uh, stick on the NFL. Since it is, is NFL season, this is the um, uh, postseason anyway. So yeah, was, look, 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 there's no question that once Peyton Manning got into that game on Sunday, uh, it was like a light bulb went off the entire offense, and and I, they I, they were gaining on every single play in, in huge chunks, whether he was throwing the ball or not. There was a noticeable difference when he got in there. So it'll, but it, but this is, I don't remember Jim an NFL postseason that was this wide open. I have absolutely, if if it. I could see it be, I could see a Vikings Chiefs Super Bowl. I could see a Panthers Patriots Super Bowl. I could see a, a Broncos versus Cardinals Super Bowl. I have absolutely no idea what is going to happen. Yeah, I mean, I you you think about a team like the Steelers, and I read this will be their sixth consecutive game they played a backup quarterback, and so they've wow. had really you know they're five and one against backups. Um, I mean, technically, Andy Dalton started the last game, but he was hurt in the first drive. And they're 5-5 five and five against basically good you know, starting quarterback. So they're going to have a run of six in a row. And so they win this game. They play in Denver. They've already beat um, a team that probably should And they're going to get a backup quarterback there, too. 
Uh, yeah, well, exactly. Either, no matter who sta- Peyton's going to be starting, but he's been a backup. Um, yeah, I don't. I mean, I just don't have a real feel for it because I can see the Chiefs winning this week. I can see the Chiefs losing. I mean, uh, I, I would not want to bet on the games. Normally, I can say, "Oh, this team." Like I think about Seattle; they're playing so well right now, but it's going to be zero in that game in Minnesota, and that really? is going to affect the way the games play. So if it was well, 35, everybody... I'd take the Seahawks, but in zero, it's like that could be an ugly 13 to 10 game. Everybody's talking about the Seahawks and and, and how they trounced a, a Cardinals team that. I assume realized going into that game they had absolutely nothing to play for. They would have needed uh, James Winston and the Bucks to go into Carolina and knock off the Panthers, which which simply was not going to happen. And 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 so without that, whether the Cardinals won or lost that game was meaningless. The the the, the Seahawks got smacked down by the Rams just two weeks ago, the week before that game. So I you know and and talk about luck. The Seahawks have gotten Jimmy Clausen twice. They got the 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 Cowboys when after Romo was injured, they have had such a series of luck themselves to get to where they are. Um, I just you know I, I plus I just can't stand them for some reason. <laughs> I don't buy it. Well, the, the analytics people love them because the Football Outsider site does this <clears throat> complicated thing called DVOA, and for the fourth straight year, the Seahawks were their top team. So those kind of people love them, but I kind of agree with you that I think. <clears throat> They can be had by anybody, especially on the road. In their entire Pete yeah. Carroll career, they've had two games on the road, and they're one and one. It's they really feasted on people at home. <clears throat> and I don't know what kind of New England team we'll see. I mean, they'll get some players back, but their offensive line is a mess right now. And that game last week was bizarre. It's almost like they treated it as a they didn't they didn't have to win it against the the Dolphins. And I'm not sure why they'd want to have to go to Denver for the championship game because. They're three and six there under Brady Belichick, but so yeah, I figured. You know what? If you're a betting man, save your money and don't listen to Sid and I because we really have no clue about who's going to win this thing this year. But we're going to be there in no the Super Bowl. Clue. Yeah, the only let's see, the, the only really the only team that I'll be shocked if they if they, I guess if they're even in the Super Bowl is the Texans. Uh, anybody yes. in the NFC, I just I wouldn't be surprised if the Redskins won. A couple games and went to the Super. I just wouldn't. They've been playing well, but the Texans are the one team that I'm like, ooh, that would be pretty surprising to me. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, they they've kind of won on you know they've been a really weak division. Um, they had a couple of they, you know they they beat they did beat two good teams in the Jets and the Bengals, but I just every time I watch them, I think how does this team even win one game, let alone nine? <laughs> well, you know what? It's good coaching. It's that Bill Belichick <laughs> coaching tree that maybe has. Finally produced some fruit. What was funny about uh, the, Bron- could, well, the yeah, Bronco game, but it was just it was just fun to see Peyton, the standing ovation when Peyton came in. It was one of those things you kind of say, "Wow, it was kind of cool to be there." Yeah, <laughs> well, and, uh, that's super neat that you were there, and 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 that Osweiler didn't play well, and he got the chance to come in, and it was it was kind of the perfect game for you to be at. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and and we're going to be well. Jim is going to be at the Super Bowl. We're both going to be at the Super Bowl in San Francisco for the week leading up to it. Jim's got the credentials for the game, and I was, you know, on the off, off, off chance that the Patriots are in the Super Bowl, I would, I would consider uh, buying a ticket and going to the game. But looking at, I was just looking online, the tickets that I found start at four thousand dollars. 
So I will not be going to the Super Bowl. <laughs> you should go to High Thomas, the gay sports bar. That'd be a blast to go watch Super Bowl there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's what, that's what I'm going to do. I think if uh, yeah, if I, if I don't somehow sneak in into the game, then I, I would go. I'd go to High Tops. And well, I hope the karma yeah. continues. Last year you went because the Patriots were in it, and this year I hope that I get to watch the Broncos in person. So maybe that trend will continue. Like Peyton Manning getting smacked but in another Super Bowl, it was, would be pretty. I think if no, I'm start Osweiler. I do. What's that? Oh, Osweiler. Yeah, right. Exactly. Brock Osweiler. Uh, well, it, and and on the NFC side, uh, I mean, I, I liked the Cardinals from the beginning of the season. I, I don't. I, that game last Sunday was just an aberration to me. I, I just don't buy that that. The sudden, suddenly, the, the Cardinals are a team to worry about. They've looked the offense has looked unstoppable all season long. So, I like if it was them and the Panthers, I think that'd be a great NFC Championship game. Yeah, well, I mean, the fun part about it is it, it is kind of wide open, and you know, there's there's no locks, and uh, every team has a flaw. And I can see every team, like you said, except for the Texans, actually kind of doing it. I mean, if I were the Broncos. They'll never do it, but I would play a two-headed quarterback, you know, have Osweiler, you know, drive until they get inside the 20, then stick Manning in for red zone. That would be so much fun to watch. Of course, it'll never happen in a zillion years, but would that just be bizarre if, like, they alternate series or every two series? <laughs> it would be like, it'd be a cool football story to watch because it would be like this experiment going live before us, but they'll never do it in five trillion years because it would violate every convention ever known in football. And they would lose the game, and the head coach would get fired. Well, that's the <laughs> that's, thing. That's why that's, that's why Peyton's yeah. starting. And the simple reason is if he loses with Manning, it's like, okay, people accept that. He's a Hall of Fame quarterback. He starts Brock Osweiler, and they lose next week. He will never live it down. That He you know, had this guy on the bench, and in his last game, he, you know, he rallied the team regardless of who's better to start. This this was a purely political choice in my head. He had no, no decision. Because it's much easier to put Osweiler in off the bench. You know that means Manning has struggled. He's failed. He's done as a Bronco. You bring Osweiler in, but you you can't start Osweiler next week because he would be hammered if they lost that game. Well, we will. The beauty is we all we get to find out. Yep. Just uh, wanted to hit on a, a couple of the things before uh, Jamil joins us. Billy Bean, I don't know if you saw Jim, was promoted in Major League Baseball today to a vice president position. And uh, they've hired a new ambassador for inclusion, a guy named uh, Curtis Pride, a for- former outfielder. I, it, I, I've been so impressed with Billy. I think we, well, we've talked about this at length. So impressed with what he's done in Major League Baseball. I think it's just a, another confirmation that Major League Baseball is just surging ahead of these other leagues on LGBT inclusion. I mean, promoting Billy to vice president, hiring a second person on for uh, as a, a ambassador for inclusion. I just I'm I'm just I continue to be impressed with what Billy does and what Major League Baseball is doing. Yeah, and it's nice they did not end that position or something and say it's left you know outlived its usefulness or something. So yeah, it's great for Billy. I mean, I know he was you know um, trying to find his second career basically after you know he moved from Florida and did some real estate stuff and that was you know he did well at that. But it, you know that's kind of it's not where his passion was and to be able to land back with baseball, which is what he loves to do, is just it's really happy for him as a person and. Uh, and also happy for what it means, you know, from what baseball is doing. But yeah, you you wish the other sports leagues would take a, you know, take a hint from this. And again, I want to 
plugged this a couple times over the next month. In March, beginning of March, in Phoenix, Major League Baseball is having a, uh, well, I'm going to get the name wrong, Diversity Business Summit. I think that's what it's called, Diversity Business Summit. And they welcome any, any uh, well, I'm going to, it's anybody uh, who represents some level of diversity, women, uh, racial minorities, LGBT. They welcome anybody who wants a career in baseball or who operates a business that wants to contract with Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball teams to, to go there for in Phoenix for a couple of days and you get to meet people from all across the league, all these different teams. And they're, they're focused this year on LGBT people bringing more into the fold in Major League Baseball is because Billy's really grabbed the hold of this and pushed it. So if you want to work for or with Major League Baseball, definitely uh, track down information that the Diversity Business Summit uh, again, it's the uh, I think it's the first or second week in March in Phoenix. But track it down. It's on Outsports, and uh, yeah, and head over to um, head over to uh, to Phoenix. Phoenix and March um, is, a, is a great time to go to Phoenix. <clears throat> it's rarely a great time to go to Phoenix, but I suppose if you're going to go to Phoenix, weather-wise, it's a, a great time, time to go to Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, what What are the things that we wanted to hit on? You know, it, we posted our. LGBT people in sports who came out in 2015 um, last week, and I think we had, I don't know, or no, it was Monday, and we had 92 or 93 people, and it's already up to 105, and I got a couple more to add, Jim. It's, it's yeah, amazing you, to I, me. I, I wrote this. How did you get those? I mean, because we went over our entire list, and yet, how did we miss 12? Did we not write about them? Were there people that, like, what? How was the process? Because I've yeah. been gone for a few days. Like, what what was the process that you discovered? Oh, there were X number more that came out, and what was their stories? Well, we we just didn't write about them. There are people that that Eric Hall, who writes for us, had had stumbled across, or people that we just missed. There was a story about two divers that 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 we did a um, of, 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 a few weeks ago that we just kind of missed. I completely forgot about Taylor Emery, the who came out the basketball player who came out in high school in Florida and then went to Tulane this year. Just I just I totally forgot about her. There were people writing her, us so. and saying you forgot me, basically. Yeah, exactly. Or, or Eric writing us, and then and then there are some people oh. in Europe that we've forgotten that I still haven't added. So the list keeps growing, and I think last year we had a hundred or two years ago we had a nine. So it might uh, we might beat that number <laughs> by the time we're done here. Yeah, we heard from a surfer, uh, but, too, I don't so. Oh, well, yeah, so again, there, but there are so many people coming out on social media and the media that we just, we miss some. Even we miss yep. some. So, um, got a thanks to Eric Hall for kind of helping us round out that list. But we're now joined by uh, Jamil Smith from the New Republic, uh, who was on Melissa Harris-Perry show this past weekend. How are you, Jamil? I'm good. How about yourself? Good, fa- fantastic. So we've talked a lot about the Odell Beckham Jr. incident that happened last month, and and his accusations through a couple other players that that he's been called homophobic slurs all season long. Uh, he, in case you don't know, he was suspended by the NFL for some a, a number of illegal hits to the helmet against the Carolina Panthers Josh Norman, and after the after the game. He he told the, his team and some other former players that he had been called uh, gay slurs by 
Norman, and, and that that was one of the reasons that he reacted so badly. Because, of course, if you get called gay slurs, you have to hit somebody in the helmet with a life-threatening hit. And what I thought was so interesting uh, is is what Jamil talked about, and, and, and we've touched on this in the past, but um, well, you talked about how homophobia uh, is is really rooted in a, quote, hatred of women and 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 how the NFL people guys in the NFL uh you know they i guess because the the sexism that that they possess the the homophobia or or uh, homosexuality is the last thing they want to have anything to do with just kind of tell us a bit more about your i don't uh, now that i've kind of paraphrased you said <laughs> no, no, tell it's us fine. a bit better about do a better job than i was doing <laughs> what you were talking about well, essentially, let me let me take a little bit back. I mean, as we know, football is the, probably the most hyper-masculine sport in America. I mean, it's certainly one that embraces everything we know about traditional, quote-unquote, traditional masculinity. Uh, it embraces the aggressiveness. It embraces the 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 rivalry, the 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 uh, utter, you know, vociferousness of manhood. Like, yes, all these different things that we associate with being tough with all these things that we associate with being quote unquote a man because because of course being a man means you're tough not being a man means you're not tough so these are things that are ingrained in the NFL's culture and it's not necessarily all of the players fault necessarily it's just it's just the way it has been for a very long time and this is a microcosm of our society is a very um hyper masculine um aggressive version of what we see in our regular lives, you know, it is going to reflect these kinds of values. So when you see, and I was at the game, uh, if I may say so, I was at that Giants-Panthers game. In fact, I was on the field before the game. Uh, I didn't see the Panthers holding a bat, but I was on the field with the You Can Play team that's uh, led by Wade Davis, the former NFL player who, um, as he would say, um, uh, let us in after his playing career, and is you know bunch has led a bunch of wonderful youths uh, you know LGBT youths to you know embrace sports and is, is trying to erase homophobia in sports. Now we're on the field and we're forming the gauntlet for the Giants to come out, and everybody is you know happy, and and then I get home and I hear about this these slurs, and I just said to myself, man, they just blew in a completely amazing opportunity to show that the, the Giants, at least, are past this issue. And here it is, this game, of all games, becomes the center, the, the focal point for discussing homophobia in the NFL. I, I mean, it, yes, there's an irony to that, but I feel like when we, when we talk about what those people, those players were allegedly calling him, ballerina, all these different things, um, Really, that is rooted in a in a hatred for women. I would argue because you have this sort of toxic black masculinity, as I and other people have written about in the past, have you know that is taken over in particularly in sports, but in various other arenas as well, and that you know mandates that black manhood be represented by a very very strict set of qualifications. You have to look tough. You can't smile. You can't dance. You can't ever behave in any any way that is perceived to be female or uh, you know as a woman would behave or else you are gay period it's not any negotiation about whether you're effeminate or whether you are uh you know 
simply a carefree black man. You are gay, period. And that is inevitably regarded as a bad thing. So there's this pressure to not just perform masculinity at a regular level, but to perform it at a level at which you are so masculine that there's no doubt about your sexuality. And so when you're not doing that, when you are posting Instagram videos, as Odell Beckham did, where he, you know, does a dance with a male friend and they're, you know, both shirtless, I mean, nothing illicit happens. They're just having fun and looks like in their garage. Um, then all of a sudden, wait a minute, whoa, that doesn't fit the normal stereotype of what we consider to be manly behavior. So then we assign you this gay classification because we think you're acting like a woman. Well, yeah, you know, this is uh, Jim. Um, interesting is that you use the word alleged about that. Uh, the, homo- the homophobic comments are alleged, but the Panthers on the record called them a ballerina. Josh Norman mm-hmm. did. They called him a bitch. They had no problem sort of feminizing him. I mean, they kind of freely right. acknowledged, you, you know, that, I mean, they use those terms, you know, without anyone prompting them. And so to me, it, it seems like it's on the same spectrum that, you know, if you, you feminize him. Well, being a faggot, of course, is just one thing. It, of course, being a faggot also equals being unmanly, not masculine, feminine. So it seems to me that it's all part of the of the same thing. And the fact that they didn't even you know, think twice about calling him a ballerina, which, of course, is a female dancer, not the male part, kind of, of strikes to the fact that there really seems like, even consciously, there's no, there's no filter on that kind of language. It's like, call someone a bitch, well, they're a bitch. Yeah, and, 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 and as you guys have mentioned before, I mean, they, they did it at times when they knew that, you know, they, they dropped the F-bomb when they knew that they weren't, weren't going to get caught for it. And so, yeah, I mean, perhaps that's what set him off. I don't know. I mean, granted, there's a number of issues that you got to confront here. The referee should have stopped that, that, those confrontations from the very start. I mean, I, I noticed them fighting, I'd say probably, you know, the third play of the Giants' first series. They were on the ground tussling with one another. And so these are things that need to be officiated better, need to be handled better throughout the league. But at the same time, I mean, they need to be called out. And the the quick – you know, shuttering away of this of this whole conversation within the NFL, including by Odell Beckham himself, I think says a lot. Well, it, it's funny. Uh, the, 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 so first of all, I agree with you that, that homophobia is rooted in sexism or fear of the penis or, or whatever, however you want to spin it. Essentially, if if you have sex with a penis, you are feminine in our culture. So that makes straight women right. and gay men more feminine and lesbians and straight men more masculine. However you want to spin it, I I don't think anybody could mount a very good argument against that. The thing that was interesting to me was the way you framed it as hatred, that there's a a hatred of women. I wanted you to kind of talk more about the use of that word, hatred, in this. Well, I use that word primarily because in the NFL and throughout, you know, I worked for the NFL for six years as a filmmaker. And um, so I have, you know, in, you know, a little bit of access to the players. And these are the kind of conversations that we, we would have regarding women would be, you know, centering around what they did to women, how, what kind of accomplishments or conquests they would have regarding women. And <clears throat> these never really in the context of, um, you know, this is, an equal partner. Now, I saw that at an NFLPA uh, player retreat where all the families were there and everybody was, 
you know, on their best behavior, and it was it was great. So not all, obviously, not all NFL players harbor this, these kind of misogynistic attitudes toward women. But I mean, I, I, too often I saw women uh, commodified in conversation, and certainly we see that in the news with how we've seen athletes like Greg Hardy and Javon Belcher and you know other Ray Rice treat the women in their lives. And so what I think, you know, hatred is a strong word. Um, but, I mean, when you think about how women are treated as commodities, how women are treated as weak and used as the avatar for weakness when you're going on the field, used as a cudgel against players you're playing against, I mean, that, to me, that, 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 that constitutes hatred. And <clears throat> we need to look at it as – you know, not just a bias, not just something that, you know, is, is a cultural attitude that's just taught. No, we need to look at this as a really serious problem, and we need to address it as such. Uh, is this a, do you think in your mind, a issue that is more, that resonates more with black men? For some, and if so, why? I think there is a certain degree of, you know, where race comes into this. Black masculinity. Um, and I think there was a very good article in Slate that I would point you guys to that came out recently regarding this topic. Black masculinity is definitely different than white masculinity in, in respect, with respect to behavior as a woman or a feminized behavior. It's just simply not allowed. It's not permitted. It's not something that is embraced. Um, there are <clears throat> there's just very few ways on that spectrum that you can behave as a man. Manly behavior constitutes not just, you know, seriousness and toughness in all the sort of traditional masculine behaviors that we're all, you know, familiar with, <clears throat> but it, it also constitutes a seriousness that I don't think is required of white men. And but why what well, should be why why do you think why is that though? I think it's because Frankly, um, there are uh, there are a couple of reasons. Number one, I think there's just the the ardor of black life in America mandates a certain seriousness that I feel like is not necessarily you know it's something that everybody needs to be concerned about. What you know, regardless of what color they are. But number two, I feel like mostly it, it's due to the fact you have in black manhood, a very limited scope of what constitutes a man. Um, I, I don't necessarily ascribe that to, you know, black cultural traditions or or some kind of historical, um, you know, you know, happening. I don't think you know it's it's because of Jim Crow or all these different things. I think that you have in just you know throughout the the course of time. These cult, these attitudes simply have not evolved in the same way that you know white attitudes have evolved, and it's unfortunate. Um, and I just think that you have in these communities not a whole lot of acceptance of homosexuality, um, and certainly, you know that that can you know constitute itself in hatred, um, in bias, in violence even. And I think that you see that more. Um, or at least we, we see it reported more in black communities than in white communities. 
And yet quickly, I don't know we're running out of time, the people that have come out that have been prominent, Jason Collins, Michael Sam, Derek Gordon, are all black and mm-hmm. is kind of, in a sense, it's sort of it's puzzling given what you're saying, which which I don't doubt at all, but that these, these pioneers themselves are from a group that has been really marginalized. Right, and I, I think that's been interesting to see. But at the same time, you know, you have seen how that has turned out for, mm-hmm. I mean, I definitely – I think that there is certainly an element of race when it comes to the Michael Sam story in particular. I mean, had he been white, I would love to see if he would have endured the same obstacles, the same um, mental, you know, the mental health obstacles that he's having to confront. You know, it's it's no small, you know, issue. I've seen just even, you know, talking to gay friends of mine, you know, that that his boyfriend is white. You know, I mean, and that. Is, is a problem. And so I feel like there are a number of different issues that those players have had to confront, and they've done so courageously. But I would like to see a player on Odell Beckham's level, if he is gay, I would love to see him, you know, tell everybody that, hey, I'm the best wide receiver in football, and I'm gay, and deal with it. Um, but again, that's his choice. Um, and I, you know, I'm sure that if it's not Odell, uh, that it will be another athlete, uh, and hopefully we can start moving past these uh, attitudes a little bit more uh, efficiently. Well, you know, I've, 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 we usually go a half hour, but I've extended the, the, this session just a little bit. Hopefully you can hang, out, hang, out, hang on with us for a couple more minutes because this is – I could talk to you for, I think, two hours about this. One of the interesting <laughs> things that – one of the curious parts that Jim and I have wrestled with is why Beckham – made these accusations through the Giants and through other people that, that he has been called gay slurs all season long and has totally shut up about it. The Giants never addressed it publicly. He never spoke about it publicly. When he went to the NFL for his, um, his, his hearing, his arbitration hearing about a suspension, he did not bring this up, even though it was originally raised as one of the reasons that he, he, he uh, reacted the way he did. And what's, you know, we're left wondering, is it because he is actually gay? He doesn't want to talk about it. I've also TMZ released um, this, this video uh, from a couple months ago of, of, of Beckham Jr. doing exactly what you were talking about, objectifying women, talking about bitches and how they just use them for money and stuff like this. And, and it's just fascinating to me. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure we're ever going to fully understand what exactly is going on in his head and, and, and why this whole episode has been handled, has been just kind of swept under the rug entirely, why nobody wants to talk about it in the NFL. Well, I had Wade Davis on my show, uh, Intersection, a little while back when we talked about masculinity in football. And what he told me is, you know, what, which is something that I believe very strongly, which is that masculinity is a performance, and more, even more so in the NFL. And when he was in the NFL, Wade, you know, oh, no, I'm here. Can you hear me? Hear me there? Hello? There yes, I'm here. All right. Sorry All right, about I that. I'll start over. <laughs> um, so I had Wade Davis on my show, my podcast, Intersection. When we're talking about masculinity in football, and one of the things he said is something that I believe in strongly, which is that masculinity is a performance, and even more so in the NFL. He told me about how he had to make sure that not only did he have a girlfriend, but he had to be able to describe, you know, being sexual with a girlfriend. You know, it's not just about saying, hey, you know, I got a girlfriend and what have you, and, you know, no, you guys haven't met her and whatever. 
it's it's about being able to say, no, I did this, this, and this with this woman, this woman, and this woman. And <clears throat> that kind of stuff manifests itself as masculinity in that sphere. So what I'm I'm thinking is, you know, Odell Beckham, for whatever motivations he may have, is required by the standards of the culture in which he is working to perform masculinity at this level, at this with this kind of toxicity um, with regards to name-calling of women and such. But also, you know, as far as sweeping any mention of him being gay under the rug because it's inherently treated as a bad thing. It's treated as something that you don't want to be. And I just, that's where I think it may be stemming from. <clears throat> Whether or not he is gay, he doesn't want to talk about being gay. Well, and I do think the double standard sort of applies when you think of someone like Aaron Rodgers that, you know, he came out publicly and denied rumors that he was in, you know, had uh, had a boyfriend that was his personal assistant. But it seems that once he sort of did that and started dating Olivia Munn, as far as the sort of straight football population was, that sort of ended it. We've not heard about Aaron being subjected to slurs or innuendo. And is that because in your mind that maybe – for a white guy to be gay, it might be a little more acceptable than if you're black. And like you said, given the culture, that could be about one of the worst things you can do is to be a homosexual. Well, I think that has something to do with it. But I also think uh, in that specific instance, it has a lot to do with the fact that Aaron Rodgers is dating a movie star who is, you know, pretty well regarded uh -huh. and beautiful. And so that is, you know, hey, wait a minute. He's dating someone I've seen in Maxim. Okay. He's not, he must not be gay. And therefore the conversation ends. So if we see Odell Beckham out with, you know, uh, who knows, any, any, yeah. any, any pop star, uh, then I think, honestly, I think those rumors are going to start to subside, um, especially as that relationship is shown to have some length and some, uh, some, kind, of, kind, of, some kind of staying power. I mean, it's unfortunate. I mean, I don't understand understand necessarily why, especially given how much progress the rest of the culture has made, the NFL continues to live in this space. Um, but unfortunately, I think it's where they still are. Well, and that I think Lisa, I may make this the last question for you, but uh, what do we do about it? You know, I, we, we <laughs> talk all the time about the issues that exist in, in sports culture, and we're all, Jim and I are always looking for the solution I mean, what? And I just I just watched concussion right the the uh, the other day, mm -hmm. and and you see what the NFL does to maintain its image, even in the face of a medical science. How on earth do we at Outsports or our listeners or anybody begin to change that culture? Here's the number one thing I think we need to do is do a little bit of what Wade is doing and is start with the young people and help young people because I think really at the end of the day, fans change their attitudes towards this on a collective level. The NFL either will be shamed into changing, which can work, or it will realize that not only is change um, the right thing to do, it's profitable. There's a market for showing and displaying and marketing 
are gay athletes. That is where the NFL needs to start thinking about it. Even if it comes from a purely profiteering motive. I mean, figure it out. Like, I just don't think that it, I can't speak to whether or not an openly gay teammate in the NFL would be quote unquote, a distraction. You know what I think is a distraction? Johnny Manziel is a distraction. I mean, I think we've got a new standard for what distractions in a locker room actually are. Um, And given that, you know, hopefully we will see some kind of progress. I I think you just, like I said, you got to start with the fans. You can't start with the athletes because there's that locker room culture is too ingrained. Start with the fans. And if they real, the NFL realizes that this is something that they can use to show that they are progressive and therefore can possibly make even more money, then all the better for them. Well, we could. I think we could talk to you for literally another two hours <laughs> yeah, and exactly. not begin to touch the surface. But we would love to have well, you let's, on let's later find on. Let's find other things to talk about, <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And 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 if it's okay, I definitely want to have you back later on in the year to talk more about this stuff. Oh, definitely. I would love that. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Right, I appreciate you. you having me on. All, All right. right. And hope your wife feels better. <laughs> She's doing well. She's rebounding. Thank you very much for asking. <laughs> All right. Well, that's, I, Jim, literally, the, the intersections of all of these different issues, racism and sexism and homophobia, and, and then we didn't even talk about religion, which is a whole other ball of wax. It, it really is. Um, I get. I sit here and talk about these things, and you, you wonder, and then I don't know if you've seen Concussion, I'm literally sitting there in that movie thinking, if they won't even accept medical science and, and their players being killed, how do we begin to get them to pay attention to sexism and homophobia? Well, I do think the only thing we can get to is to tell stories and kind of start working from the margins, working from young people coming out in high school, and maybe at one point they're going to have to confront it because there's going to be an openly gay player that we've known them since college. I mean, that's my hope is that as younger people take over in these sports, they become the general managers and the executives that – a lot of this eventually is going to kind of fade away, but it's, you know, it's still a struggle. And, you know, I mean, the whole Beckham well, thing is just fascinating because of the fact that everybody wants to see it swept under the rug, and it's been swept under the rug. And and to that, to your point of, of executives rising up, you look at, again, what Billy Bean has done in Major League Baseball. He has he has taken the opportunity that Major League Baseball has presented him and say, no, we are going to address this head on. I am going to get gay people in front offices, and I am going to help gay players come out of the closet. He did it with David Denson earlier this this season. So, uh, you're right. It's just it's getting it's getting more LGBT people in decision making. I think that's a big part of it. Jim, we got one caller who's been holding on for about almost 20 minutes now. Uh, I figure we welcome them on. Caller, hi. You're with Sid and Jim from Outsports. Well, hello, I've been yeah, listening off and on, so I haven't listened. Um, I probably listened about 50% of it. But, you know, if you do want to indoctrinate any group of people into any kind of way of thinking and behavior, you have to get them when they're young. Yeah, that's well understood. Um, 
you know, there's a lot of racial discrimination um, outside of the gay um, population. Um, and just because you're gay doesn't mean that discrimination ceases, um, racial discrimination. So racial discrimination against gay people is just as strong, I believe, as discrimination against non-gay people. And that's something that's not really addressed as well. And thirdly, well, yeah, and thirdly can I say something? Um, sure thing. This kind of hyper-sexualized um, kind of speaking and behavior, I think that um, a lot of black men have, has, it stems from slavery. When black men, that was their role, was to be hypersexual and to be laborers um, so that white men could enrich themselves and their families. And that's what they were studied out. And I think that has a lot to do because they are not allowed to be uh, CEOs of companies. Um, there's a lot of racial discrimination that exists. This is one way that they can uh, reaffirm their masculinity is via sex. But if you go to Africa um, uh, and you look at the history of Africa, you don't see that type of thinking and behavior. But all of that stems from, from the slavery, trade, you know, from slave trade. Yeah, that's so a very good there's point. A lot of, there's a lot of issues. Um, and I know with what's going on with African Americans, we do need very strong black men. We're going to be courageous because there it appears to a lot of people that there is an assault going on against African American people. So that's all. Well, I have absolutely, and 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 really, really appreciate your call. And you know, I I think she brought up a great point, Jim. That uh, you know, I know I see racism all over the gay community. I wrote a piece that was actually rejected by the Huffington Post a couple of years ago about my experiences going to holiday parties in, in, in Hollywood and West Hollywood, all of these parties thrown by white gay men, and seeing literally no black men at these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of attendees and no black men. And and it, I, I think that you know racism in the gay community, you know, we're all – we all kind of are led to believe that the gay people are so open-minded. Well, there's so much racism here. Um, I, I thought you brought up a great point. Yeah, no, definitely that, and it's, it's a lot. It's you know a perfect example of one marginalized group marginalizing another. I mean, it, it unfortunately it tends to be that way through history. But yeah, that the the racism I think is alive and well in the gay community. You even look at if you're on any social media app, it's you know like they will code into white guys only or no you know there's always the no no asians or something it's very it can be with a percentage of people very exclusionary so yeah it's it's something this community has to address also well i want to thank uh, jamil smith from the new republic who really gave us some great insight into these intersections of race and 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 gender and and sexual orientation thank you for our caller for for, uh, for for giving us some insights into the racism racism in the lgbt community um, we'll be back next week talking about more of these issues. I'm Sid Ziegler with Jim Bazinski. We will talk to you next week.